Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. We are going to be in Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Luke 2. We're going to be starting in verse 25. Luke 2, 25. As is our habit here, what we're going to do is I'm going to read this passage, and then when we're done reading it, I'm going to say this. This is the word of the Lord, and you can reply, thanks be to God. And then I'm going to pray and ask for his help. So we're going to read Luke 2. When we're done, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. You all can reply, thanks be to God. Here we go. This is Luke 2, starting verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms And praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him. So then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow 84 years after that. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Mary and Joseph had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. And let's ask for his help. Father, we ask that you would show up this morning. God, as one pastor has said, this thing is built perfectly to fail unless you show up. So, Father, I pray that your spirit would move in our hearts to see that you're at work, to see the good news of Christmas, the gospel, that we can be renewed and restored and have new life in your Son. And all that will cultivate hope. Father, I pray that hope is stirred up this morning. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Christmas season is here, whether you were ready or not. And just like full disclosure, I am never ready. Like 
every single year, I don't get like the Christmas feels until like December 27th. So like as I was preparing and praying over this message, I was like, man, it just feels so weird to talk about Christmas. So I like played Run DMC's Christmas record. That didn't help. I mean, even like last night, uh, we were all just hanging out, playing some games, and I was like, hey, Google. Yeah, I heard it. Hey, Google, play some Christmas music. And Amy was like, what are you doing? And I was like, yeah, and that lasted like 12 seconds. I just, oh, man, it just didn't feel right. But we're following the Advent calendar here this year, and the very first week of Advent, in the calendar we're following at least, is hope. We're taking time to look at hope, and hope I think, is the foundation of Christmas. And I also think it's really timely for us in the age we live in to take some time preparing this holiday season by meditating on and thinking about hope. See, I don't know if you know this, but Christianity is on the decline in the West. That's no secret. I mean, Pew Research just let out some data that from statistics as recently as last year, that the number of people who identify as Christians is declining, while the number of people identifying as not affiliated with any faith group at all is increasing. Which, so if we have a decline in one direction and an increase in another direction, Pew calls that actually a rapid decline. So we've graduated. We're not just declining. We are rapidly declining. And what is taking the place of Christianity, at least in the West, is secularism. And so the Catholic philosopher Charles Taylor, who literally wrote the book on secularism, it's called Our Secular Age, it's like 900 pages this big, talks about why we, the faithful, really need to know the age we live in. Why we need to know that we live in a secular age and why that's important and what's at stake if we miss that. And here's what Taylor says. He says that the faith that you and I have, that we live out, is radically different from the faith of our spiritual foreparents. Okay, so Anselm, Augustine, Martin Luther, pick anybody in church history, and the faith that you have is going to be radically different from the faith that they have. Why is that? Because you and I have an option that they didn't know was available to them. You and I can give up at any time. See, like, we live in an age where our secular family and neighbors and people that we love they look at us and they think, like, you still believe this? Like, belief seems almost incredible. Like, hey, when are you guys, like, going to stop believing in that virgin birth and that God, there's a God and that, that God came into humanity? When are you going to stop that, get enlightened, join the rest of us, and just wel- get welcomed into the party? That was unimaginable for our spiritual foreparents. For them, it was almost incredible not to believe, where for us— it's almost incredible to believe. And so as one philosopher says, what that creates is a culture where we're all Thomas now. We don't believe instead of doubting. We believe while doubting. And so the rise of secularism, I think, has really been also a decline in hope. And hope is what Christmas is all about. Hope is the foundation of Christmas. Hope is not wishful thinking that things will get better. 
Hope is not a denial of the bad things that are happening. Rather, hope is a deep confidence, an assurance, a trust that God is working in the midst of the brokenness. And that is put on display in no better place than the story that we just read. And I think that like, if, if, we, if we head into the holiday season without hope, we have like, we're left with like two options. One is the road I often take, just as a cold-hearted New Englander, is apathy. Like, oh yeah, I've been let down before. This Christmas is going to be the same as every other Christmas. You're just trying to stir up my, my hopes, and it's, look, nothing's going to change. That's one option. The other option, though, might be just unrealistic expectations, where we forget the disappointment, and we just load all of our eggs into this basket. And we're like, no, this year's going to be different. This year's going to be great. All the kids are going to come to my house. They're going to see what a great host I am, and they're going to see like, oh, wow, isn't this great? I'm going to call mom more. Look at this great celebration. Everything's going to be great because of Christmas. And I I want to help you avoid both of those pitfalls. I want to help you avoid apathy this holiday season, and I want to help you avoid unrealistic expectations. Because we've all been there before. We've all hoped in something and experienced that letdown. We've all had our expectations crushed. And so some of us protect ourselves either with apathy or we live in denial. And the answer to that is hope. So if that's true, if we're trying to protect ourselves, hope gives us a different way forward. Hope gives us a different way forward. It actually invites us into a different experience. I think there's three things hope invites us into. The first thing, I think hope invites you to bring the real you to Jesus. Some of you left the real you in the parking lot this morning. Hope, though, invites you to bring all of you, the junk, the mess, the stuff you don't want anyone else to know about. Hope invites you to bring all of you to Jesus. Because hope helps you see and enables you to trust that God's good. So when you bring your whole self to Jesus, you can now see, because of this hope, you can see that he's good. So even if your journey isn't good, even if your journey is hard, Hope enters with you on the journey and says, I'll not only go with you, I'll carry you. Hope says that God is good even if your journey isn't. And when that's the case, when you can bring your whole self to Jesus, when he, doesn't, when he helps you not deny your situation, but he helps you go through your situation, hope now enables you to take risks. Hope frees you from self-protection from, from like the apathy, that's what apathy is. It's I've been let down before, I'm not going to get let down again. I'm just not going to care about anything. Things hurt me, nothing matters. Hope actually says, no, you're deeply loved and cared for, and now you can be free to take risks. So let's look at that first thing. Let's look at how hope invites you to bring the real you to Jesus. Uh, I love U.S. history, and I know not everybody else does, but... Uh, LBJ, our 36th president, one of the most important figures in American history, uh, when he was born, uh, he, he tells this story about his birth. He was born in the hill country of Texas, and he says when he was born, his white-haired grandfather 
jumped onto a black stallion and ran all over the hill country yelling, Today a U.S. senator has been born! Today a U.S. senator has been born! It's incredible. Only problem is if you ask people from the hill country of Texas about that story, nobody remembers it. So why would LBJ tell this grandiose story of his birth? Well, because the reason is, man, you must be really important if things are happening around your birth that are outside of your control that point to your importance. And so this story that we just read is like LBJ's Black Stallion story, except it's true. And here's the wild thing about this story. This story, really all of it unfolds for an audience of two. This happened, God so orchestrated that Simeon and Anna, these two people who should not have had any hope whatsoever, how they were overdosing on hope almost, and it just flowed out, we're only told two people's responses to it. And it's Mary and it's Joseph. We're not told anybody else's response. And I believe we're told only their responses because it's, it's a means to say, hey, here are people who need hope. And so God is providing that hope for them. They are on a journey and God is saying, keep putting one foot in front of another. I'm going to put hope on display to fan the flame for your hope. And in the midst of that, you and I can have hope. God is encouraging people to walk out in faith and he's encouraging them with hope and we can learn from that. See, we're all fairly familiar with the Christmas story and it can be so easy to look back on that story and think like, Man, that must have been so easy. Like, look, Mary had an angel appear to her and saying, hey, you're going to have a baby, and that baby's going to be God who dwells with us. And it's like, well, I'd believe that if an angel showed up at my doorstep. But look, this was costly for her. All right? Like, I, I don't know if you know this, but society was not super kind to teenagers who had children outside of wedlock. Much like today, society is not super kind to teenagers who have children outside of wedlock. She had to step out. And Joseph, same thing. Not super easy to continue on this journey with her. We know the end of the story. They didn't. They were just putting one foot in front of the other. They were people who deeply needed hope. And so God puts two people in their path who have hope, to keep encouraging them to go. And here's what's happening. It would be so easy for Mary and Joseph to hide behind the veneer of like God's big picture plan. God's redeeming the world. It doesn't really matter how I feel about it. It doesn't really matter my experience of it. I just need to keep plugging away. And Luke wants to push back on that attitude. He's saying this, no, no, no. Mary and Joseph... I know this is costly. Look at how I'm moving things so you will have hope stirred up in you. This isn't like, oh, hey, this has been really hard, but you know, God's redeeming creation. He's making all things new through this. He's saying like, no, your heart attitude matters in this. Yes, God can multitask. I am redeeming creation and I care about you in the process. Uh, this past couple of weeks, some people have brought to the pastoral staff's attention, there's this kind of phrase that keeps recurring again and again. It's something like this. is like, 
Hey, we love Compass Church. It's a, it's a great place where we learn and we go get theologically educated. Uh, but I feel like it's not the church I would go to if my life fell apart. And before your inner defense attorney kicks in, just sit there for a second. Look, I'm not saying, when I, when I share that with you, I'm not saying people don't love each other anonymously. The Kidder family, we've experienced really hard things, and so many people have loved us secretly. Like, there is a lot of anonymous, secret love taking place here. I'm not saying that, that that's no love happening here at all. But I am friends uh, with the real-life Dos Equis guy. Not the actor, but a guy who is the most interesting man in the world. He's here today. I don't want to embarrass him, so I'm not going to embarrass him. Uh, but, so... Because of him, I've gotten to meet several interesting people. And one of the interesting people I met uh, was very high up in the police department at the university. And he made this statement that I think is so helpful uh, with what I just said. Here's what he said. He said, like, when you think about people and their relationship to the police, you think about their relationship to safety, if you don't feel safe, you're not safe. Okay? And so I just want to say, like, you can... You can answer that with all the objections in the world. They don't know this is going on, this is going on, this is on. If you don't feel safe, you're not safe. And so some people say like, hey, love this church, but can I really bring my whole self here? Can I really bring messes and all? What will you think of me if you learn who I really am? You see, that's a that's a hope challenge. Because, like, theological education is great. Like, I'm a Bible nerd. I, don't, I make no apologies for that. But you know what happens when you figure out how to read Karl Barth and you actually understand it? Your anxiety doesn't go away. When you listen to the Bible Project podcast and you can predict what they're going to say because I already know this, you still have fears. See, we can hide behind the big picture. Oh, I care about theology. I care about the big picture. Who cares about what's going on in my heart? Who cares about all this stuff? That's not following Jesus. I leave that in the parking lot and I come into church. What's happening here with this story is that God goes out and meets them in the parking lot. Hope is not an idea in the Bible. It's a person. And that person meets Mary and Joseph where they are. See, what's happening in this narrative is something totally mundane and totally normal. But it turns into an LBJ birth story. See, like, they, had, they were just putting one foot in front of the other. Like, as far as they know in their narrative, they just had a baby in obscurity. And a bunch of shepherds showed up. Which, like, from their perspective, you're in shame, you go have a baby, and then a bunch of shepherds show up. That's great, but that may not get you to the finish line. So they're doing just what any parent would do next. They're taking their child to temple so they can go through the ritualistic uh, ceremonies. Mary was unclean after having a baby, and probably Joseph was unclean for helping. So they're going through this purification process, and then they're also stepping out in faith. It says in the previous, in verses 22 and following, it says that they were going to dedicate that child to the service of the Lord. Why were they doing that? Because they're seeing, they saw a pattern. They're like, uh, whenever like there's this wild, miraculous birth, something awesome happens with the kid. So we're just going to dedicate this kid to God. So think like Samuel. Uh, Hannah couldn't have children. 
She prays, has a child, she dedicates that child. So they're just stepping out in faith. They're just putting one foot in front of the other. They don't know the whole story. They don't know what's going on, and God meets them where they are. Here's what's so amazing about this guy, Simeon. Okay, here's what's amazing. Ezekiel, you know that book you did your quiet time in this morning? He has a vision where he's sitting on a hill, and he watches God's Spirit leave the temple. And we talked about it this morning, how there was silence for all these years. God had left the temple. Israel was sinning and sinning and sinning, and he says, hey, as punishment, I'm out. And now what happens through Simeon? God's spirit is upon him. And where does that spirit, where does God lead Simeon? Back into the temple. Here's what hope is. Hope is a person, and that person says, I'm here. God's presence, it's no mistake that this happened at the temple. He's like, I'm back. I'm here. He look, and look at what Simeon says about this child. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. What did his eyes see? A baby. See, we know God is up to something amazing. His spirit has returned back to the temple. And, and then that spirit comes and says, this is salvation. This person. See, like the problem with if we just give you a theological education is that that's not helping you experience salvation. You're not saved by facts. You're not saved by knowing about Jesus. You're saved by Jesus. And what hope does is hope says, hey, you, all of you, that's who he's interested in. He doesn't want you to hide behind facts. He wants you to bring all of you to him. And how does he respond? With hope. By saying like, hey, I'm here. I'm here with you on this journey. And if, if that's true, that changes how we see God. Uh, a lot of people have described the secular age that we live in as people who are seeking a, the kingdom without the king. Secularism is seeking the kingdom without the king. So we want peace, we want unity, we want justice, we want equality, but we don't want a king. And that's what secularism is. And, and if you think back like long and hard on that, like, hey, well, why, why would you want all the things that the king has to offer but not want the king himself? It's because all of us, every single one of us, deep down, doesn't really believe that God is good. Like, it's like, hey, like one of my favorite singers, he's not a great singer, so don't judge me, but Brandon Boyd of Incubus, uh, years ago in a Rolling Stones interview, uh, Rolling Stone interview said that, like, yeah, I, I would be okay with Christianity. I just don't want to give my life over to someone else. Well, why wouldn't you want to give your life over to someone else? Because they're not good. Like, there's almost this fear of like, man, I like running, and so if I trust Jesus, he's going to break my legs. I was, I, after, the, after the first service, someone said to me, yeah, we have a friend who they didn't want to go into ministry because they literally said, I feel like God will make me marry someone ugly if I go into ministry. As funny as that is, what's underneath that fear is like, God isn't good. Like, he just wants me to do hard things because they're hard. What's wrong with that? There's no hope in that statement. 
Here's, here's what actually is going on. God enters the story where we are and then speaks directly to us. Look what Simeon does next. So the only reaction we get from Simeon's ministry is that Mary and Joseph were amazed about what was being said about Jesus. And then, so then what does Simeon do? Like, like just think about how wild this was for a second. So Simeon, uh, the text says that he was righteous and devout. That word for devout is used uh, to describe like uh, Greek and Roman gentlemen. So this is like not like some crazy uncle that's just in the temple who's like, ah, there's a baby. And then just, I'm going to say something nice about this. This is like a re- like someone everybody respected. I mean, it's not like Jeff Goldblum, but it's like someone that you're like, whoa, like what is this person doing? Because I feel like no one would be surprised if Jeff Goldblum did that. But like, it's like, what, who is this person and what are they doing? It was wild. And then this person turns to Mary and says to her, like, hey, I know where you are. And he ends, he ends up with his saying with this, like, what's going to happen to this child will be a, soul, a sword that will pierce through your own soul. Hope doesn't deny the circumstances that Mary was walking into. It doesn't sugarcoat it. Like, so if, you're, if you think that trusting Jesus means like, oh, I can't feel pain, I, I can't care about things— that's not hope. That's denial. Like, following Jesus doesn't change what you care about, what you love. Following Jesus actually just points you in a different direction. And look, like Simeon says, this amazing thing that this Savior is going to do for us. Look with me at uh, verse 31 and 32. This, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations— a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Look at, that's an amazing sentence. Your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations. God is not hiding this from you. He wants you to experience hope. He wants you to experience the peace that comes from him entering into your story. There was like a really popular t-shirt when I was in college. It's like, I found the Lord. And on the back it said, he was hiding behind the couch. Um, That's not how Jesus relates to us. He's not hiding. He's making himself available in our story. And like, this is the promises that he makes. He says this, that he will be a light of revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. What Simeon is doing is he's quoting heavily from Isaiah. The passages that were even read this morning carry through to Isaiah. And it it, it climaxes in chapter 60. Here's what it says. Arise, this is 60 verse 1. Shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Okay, so here's what's happened. As you know this passage, it's Isaiah 9. A people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Here's what it means to walk in darkness. In Hebrew, walking has this idea of living, that you're spending your life in darkness. Like you're Sisyphus. You're pushing that boulder up the cliff every day. You get it there, and it rolls back down. Despair, heartache, disappointment. That's where Jesus enters into He enters into that world. And what does he do? He brings light. 
Light has this idea of renewal. He is renewing a broken world. He's not saying ignore the hard stuff. He's saying, I'm here to breathe new meaning into the hard stuff. I'm here to make my creation new again. And then here's what's so very amazing. Isaiah 60 verse 8. Talking about when the Gentiles see that light and come to the light. Here's how he describes it. These Gentiles, they're like, they're flying along like clouds. Like doves returning to their nests. Here's what the invitation that Simeon is holding out, saying Jesus is doing. He's inviting people home. And here's the amazing thing. He enters into that darkness, invites them home, and it's a home we've never been to before. It's a, this, and we return to it like doves to their nests, but it's somewhere we don't know. Here's what hope says. Hope says, like, you're a sojourner. The reason that this world hurts and the reason this world disappoints you is because you were not made for this world. And by entering the story, Jesus points us home. As the philosopher James K.A. Smith talks about, like, some of us get frustrated when we come to faith because we think, oh, I trusted Jesus. Everything's easy. I'm home now. But that's not what Jesus is promising. He's saying, I'm entering with you on the journey, and I'll carry you. We're going together, but we're headed home. Our compass now points home. And that's really good news. That's way better news than like, I don't want to trust this God because I think he's out to destroy me. But it's like, no, this God sees me as I am, loves me, and is good even if my journey isn't. Doesn't deny the hardship of what you're going through. And like when you know that you're loved, when you know that all of you is loved, like that thing that you're like, man, if everybody just knew X, I'd be done. When you know that you're loved at that point, when you know you're loved because Jesus sees your whole internet search history and still loves you, still enters the story with you, When you really know that, it enables you to live differently. It enables you to take risks. The risk of generosity. So think about the second character that comes up to Mary and Joseph and gives them hope. It's Anna. Anna is a prophetess. And newsflash, like the first century Palestine was not super friendly toward women. Okay? I I mean not super pro-women. So she's already got this like one like challenge in front of her. Not only was it not super pro-women, she's a widow. She's poor. There's no social security. There's no safety net. She has, she's living in poverty. Lastly, it also says she's old. And so she's probably been forgotten. She's moved off out on the fringes. But what do we see this person who has lots of challenges, lots of obstacles. What do we see her doing? We see her just walking right up into the middle of a guy speaking by the Spirit and then telling everybody about it. And Mary and Joseph are still watching. They're watching hope in action. Like hope provides safety. God's presence means safety. That idea of salvation, my eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation is rescue from danger. We have been rescued. We have been loved. We've been saved. Now let's start taking risks. So 
let's just talk about a scenario you're going to be in in a couple weeks. You're around the Christmas table, and your secular nieces and nephews are there. And they live in the city, and they just can't believe that you still believe in, believe in Christianity. And it's like kind of in the background. It's like burning a little bit. And you're just like, ah, oh, don't ask me. Don't ask me anything about church. Don't ask me. Come on. I just want to get through a nice Thanksgiving meal. And it inevitably comes up. They, like, probably just a passing comment. Like, well, you know, I can't believe just how backwater, backwoods Christians are. And I, I just want you to feel, feel what's rising up, right? You feel that? What is risk and what is hope? How does that change that scenario? You're going to be in that scenario. How does hope speak into that scenario and change it? One of like the defenses that everybody uses when they talk about like arguments, especially Christian arguments, is like 1 Peter 3, where it says, always be ready to give a defense, right? And so that kicks up in your head. Like, all right, I'm going to be ready to give a defense. I am going to argue. Here we go. I'm gonna, I've got all the logical arguments. I'm going to talk about how Christianity is actually awesome. And like you climbed up a ladder and you're on the top rungs of the ladder. And it's so great. You don't even realize the ladders you climbed up to to get there. And it's, you're going to be like, wow, Christianity is so awesome. You're so wise. Thank you at the end of it. Hope frees you to not join arguments, but rather to be generous in doling out hope. Here, let's finish the last part of 1 Peter 3. Here's what it says. Always be ready to give a defense for what? The hope that is within you. So if we're loved, if we're taken care of, we can take risks. And so some of those risks look like, hey, I'm not going to join this argument. I need to just be generous with hope. You need hope. You are someone seeking the kingdom without the king. And I, my job is to give you hope. When you go into your city, when you go into like holidays this year, your job is not to be right. Like nobody, nobody was ever argued into the kingdom. Like what you win them with, you win them to. So if you won them by being fighty and just like beating them down, that's what they think this whole thing is. But if you're a person who's generous with hope, who's just like just shelling it out like mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving, like nobody wants this, but here you go. That speaks volumes. Like that gives hope. So like what are some tangible ways, what are some tangible risks that you can take this holiday season? Like real risks. Leaving your comfort zone because of hope. Well, when you walked in this morning, you got a bulletin and you got this card. And so this card says, a gift from your friends at Compass Church. Here's a risk you can take this holiday season. Go to Starbucks, stand in line, and then pay for the person behind you and just say, hey, I just wanted to just be generous to you, and I just wanted to hand this to you. That is a risk. Do you know why it is a risk? Because if I was a non-believer, if I didn't go to church and someone handed me this, I'd be like, uh-huh, you just want me to go to your church. Cool. Maybe. Maybe not. It's a risk. But we can take risks because we're not alone on the journey. Another risk that you can take, you can do that in the drive-thru if you're super introverted. That, I did it last year in the drive-thru, and that is risky. Because like, I was like, oh my gosh, what's, 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 the, what's the person at the window going to think of me? Like some of you, you got to take baby steps. Some of you, you just got to take monster leaps, all right? What's another risk you can take this holiday season? Uh, one of the most countercultural things that you can do in a, the age of social media is befriend someone in real life. 
I-R-L. So invite someone to coffee. Take a risk. Like, as Brene Brown says, people are people are people are people. Maybe the reason they haven't gone out for coffee with you is because they think you're not approachable. Invite them out for coffee. Take risks. The last risk I think we can all take together is invite someone to church. I don't care how secular you are, Christmas and Easter, it crosses your mind to go to church. Uh, Last week I was talking to someone and they they said this statement, I have been a Christian for uh, several decades and the reason I'm a Christian is because someone invited me to a community Bible study. I went because someone invited me. Like maybe your friends aren't here because you haven't invited them. Maybe they haven't been asked. Take a risk. Yeah, might they think like you're weird? Might they think you're a Jesus freak? Maybe. But you don't know because you haven't risked. Take these risks. We're all stepping out of our comfort zone because it's safe to. That's what hope says. Hope says we can move into these situations because we'll get through these situations. We are deeply loved. I grew up in a, a Christian home, and for part of my uh, education experience, I went to a small Christian school. Uh, and then from there, I went to Bible college. And uh, when you kind of grow up in those circles, uh, you see just a lot of people leave the faith. Tons. So, like, part of my story, uh, the guy that probably part of the reason I'm in ministry is just him. He leaves the faith, right? And, and I was like, oh, man, like, I don't have a category for all these people who are constantly walking away. Like, what in the world is going on? And I was talking about this with a friend, uh, and he made this really insightful comment. Uh, He said, yeah, like, when I see friends walk away from the faith, I always kind of think, like, oh, they're going to leave the faith, and then just, like, it's just all sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Like, they're just, woohoo, we're a party egg. We left Jesus. We went to the party. But one of the things that happens, though, when you leave the faith is you just leave the faith and you go to work the next day. You're an accountant. What in the world is going on? Albert Camus helps us understand exactly what's going on by talking again about Sisyphus. So Sisyphus is that guy who pushes the boulder up the hill every day and it falls back down. And Camus was thinking about Sisyphus and said, you know, you know why Sisyphus is so miserable? Because he thinks there's something out there other than just pushing the boulder up the cliff. What Sisyphus needs to do is he needs to be grateful. He's given a job. Like, he's not in exile. He's home. You see what's happening there? The road becomes home. We're on a journey. The journey is hard. We're headed to a shore we've never been before with the promise of home. And some of us just say, actually, this isn't so bad. The road is home. Do you see what happens when you give up? Like the rise in secularism really is also a decline in hope. That God really is good. And that he really is making his world right. And he really does invite us to be a part of it. To be new creation. To experience renewal. To experience salvation. But it's hard. It's not easy. But we're not alone. And that's what Christmas says loudly and it says clearly hope has come 
Yes, you've experienced letdown. Yes, you've experienced disappointment. It doesn't deny that the journey is difficult. But hope enters the journey with you and promises to go until there is no more journey, until you're home. And that deep confidence is the root of faith. And that's what we're celebrating. That's how we go into Christmas, with deep hope. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that the gospel is good news for everyone. That anyone can experience hope because you entered the story. Father, I pray that if there are people here who haven't experienced hope, that this morning would be a new season in their life where they experience you and know you and start walking on that journey with you. Father, I thank you so much for your grace, for your love, for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.